Hello, Megan Thompson with Megan Thompson Coaching. Today, we are going to talk all about the three things that you need to take control over when your child is out of control in the school setting. Now, when you're parenting a highly sensitive child, if your child's behavior has you wondering when they'll get kicked out or they've just been kicked out of school, let's make sure that you are tuned in because this topic, while um, unfortunate, is definitely one we hear from parents about often. So we're gonna cover this uh, today. Hello, and welcome to How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. I'm your host, Megan Thompson, licensed clinical professional counselor and registered play therapist supervisor. We at MTC teach parents how to eliminate the daily meltdown and shutdown cycle for your sensitive children and teens. Highly sensitive children make up 15 to 20% of the population, according to research that has been gathered for over a century. And this podcast answers one question. How can you raise emotionally intelligent children? Stop walking on eggshells and help your child express their needs safely without punishments, yelling, or coddling. If you wanna know the answer, you're in the right place. So here at MTC, we know how to help parents break out of the pattern of the daily meltdown cycle. We have helped hundreds of families all around the world stop those daily meltdowns. And this is for children who are hitting, kicking, screaming, shutting down, running away, outright refusing and and engaging in pretty intense behaviors on a daily basis, multiple times a day, or at the very least multiple times a week. So if your child is, is demonstrating these major behaviors on a regular basis, and that's what I mean by regular, daily, multiple times a week, multiple times a day, then make sure that you're staying tuned. This is relevant for parents ages three, through 18 when we think about um, major behaviors like this specifically related to worried about whether or not your kid could be kicked out of school. Now, that doesn't mean the parents of two-year-olds don't worry if their kid's gonna be kicked out of preschool or daycare or whatever setting you have. Um, But what we're gonna talk a lot about today is noticing how to support your child in breaking out of this pattern and doing it from a place where you feel powerful rather than reactive. This is something that you as a parent need to be able to have a pretty specific plan in place to take over because your your child is out of control. And I wanna speak about this from a place of of noticing that we're not here to judge um, and and not here to say that your child's out of control in the sense that you need to control your kid. Um, Using that statement because your child feels out of control in their emotions. And that is number one. The first thing that you need to notice and and make a decision on is to, to, get clarity on the fact that your child is not making willful choices to explode in the school setting. Now, this is critically important, especially if your kid's school does not follow that same belief. If your child's school follows more of a traditional perspective that uh, children are to be seen and not heard, that the school setting is where children sit and learn and listen, then this can be really, really difficult for parents and for your child who's also highly sensitive uh, to tolerate all day long without needing to move their bodies, without needing to learn through play, without needing to learn through uh, verbal or uh, physical exploration. And for a child who's struggling, with daily emotions that are are big to the point where they feel out of control and as a result their bodies and behaviors become out of control, this is extremely overwhelming and and extremely stressful. So it's really important that you understand 
Your child's not making a choice that is conscious here in this experience. Their behavior is telling you that they are overwhelmed. And uh, this first piece can be can be really uh, tricky to, to decide upon as a parent because you can hear from all kinds of people telling you, you know, you just need to control your kid. You just need to tell your kid that um, that they'll have that they'll get kicked out of school if they don't handle um, handle themselves. And I've I've got to tell you, we've helped parents whose children have been asked to leave multiple school settings. That does not work. Um, and and uh, as much as that is obviously unfortunate for the child as well as for you as a parent, um, threats don't teach children no matter what setting you're in. And hopefully you've heard me say this before, but if this is the first show that you're tuning into, we're going to talk a little bit about how children learn and understand uh, what, what drives children's behavior. And out-of-control behavior is driven by out-of-control hearts, um, emotions. The, the emotional experience of your child, your child feels like they can't manage those big emotions. And as a result, it comes out in their bodies. Now, that might also look like a complete shutdown for you. And so if your child is not engaging in the school setting, say, for example, you know your child is gifted, they might have um, some pretty significant academic strengths, but they're not doing their homework and that might jeopardize their placement. Uh, this is also relevant here too. So make sure that you're continuing to, to listen in even if your child is not aggressive in the classroom setting. Now, obviously, safety is a, uh, another concern, right? You're, the school is um, going to make sure that they need to maintain the physical safety of all of their students. And if your child is the student who is hurting other kids, it makes sense that the school would be alarmed by that, right? Uh, that they would need to, to, to take action and take immediate action. With that being said, um, removing your child from the classroom, removing your child from the circumstances and, and, you know, God forbid, removing them from the whole uh, school setting altogether isn't going to teach your child uh, what to do differently. So this goes back to what we've said before over and over again, which is that punishment doesn't teach. Uh, children, especially highly sensitive children, need to know what to do and punishment only teaches them what not to do. And highly sensitive kids who are already anxious and worried and fearful in their bodies, and that's what's so overwhelming for them, already worry about the worst case scenario and likely jump to the worst case scenario conclusions very often in their minds, so much so that you as a parent are spent, you know, spending a lot of your time reassuring your kid that um, that they need to slow down, that it's gonna be okay, that that worst case scenario isn't plausible or um, likely, right? But uh, none of that actually matters uh, because it doesn't help your child slow down, it doesn't help your child maintain their behavior and uh, if fear taught anything, then, um, then we would see a heck of a lot less people uh, responding effectively um, ineffectively, I should say, when, when they're yelled at, right? But what we know for sure is that uh, when your child is struggling, we can't use fear, like threats of, of needing to, to remove them from the classroom or removing them from, um, from, the, from the, the setting at home, like in a timeout setting, etc. None of that teaches your kid what to do and, you, and, and your child can't learn if they're out of the situation they need to be learning in. So we need to understand how children learn as, as point number two. The other component that you need to, uh, to have clarity on for you as a parent is understanding how 
um, how you are responding in this moment. Obviously, if the school is taking this concern seriously, as it's highly likely they would, it's very important that you understand how to advocate for your sensitive child. And that's what we're gonna be spending the majority of our time focused on today is, is understanding what needs to be prioritized when your child is on the verge of losing their school placement um, or you are, are noticing that your child is not being served effectively in the education setting that they're in. And this is a, really takes quite a, um, a long set of, of um, a time to, to understand the nature of the highly sensitive trait. And so when we work with clients directly on supporting their kids and staying in the school settings or in parents actively deciding to um, help the school shift the environment so that the child can stay in the environment that they're assigned or um, in other situations deciding to uh, move schools with their kids uh, proactively because they know that this isn't the best setting. One of the things that you need to truly understand is how your child fits the criteria of, of the highly sensitive personality trait. And you need to be able to advocate in a way that those four components are seen as strengths because when we think about understanding the fact that your child is highly sensitive, um, you know, the average educational layperson or educational professional um, isn't going to understand um, how being highly sensitive uh, is different from having a, a mental health need or um, you know, being relevant to other personalities that are neurodiversity concerns um, or neurodiversity presentations that uh, include sensitivity, like uh, sensory processing disorder or autism, for, for you know, examples. Um, and so it's very important that you educate yourself on the personality trait, that you find how your child fits those four components, and that you learn not only that, but also how to support your child in understanding that how they fit it so that they can own it as well and not see, see it as a weakness. Highly sensitive kids already observe that they respond to the world differently than other children and uh, this can be a pretty significant burden for kids who uh, need to take extra support from the school settings because we can see highly sensitive kids who struggle with receiving that advocacy. Um, that, that parents put in place because they don't want to be seen as different. So you need to be able to, to not only advocate with the school, but also advocate with your child and then teach your child how to advocate for their own needs. And all of this requires you to notice that the behaviors that you're seeing are just a symptom of the meltdown cycle. Where the meltdowns are happening are, is, is only one part of the puzzle to address when we're talking about breaking out of the meltdown cycle for good. So sure, you could change the kid's teacher, you could change the kid's classroom setting, you could add a comfy pillow and some, you know, headphones that, that your child could go to or, or um, you know, a wobble chair or anything else that, that you might find in, in an example of how to keep a busy body occupied while learning. But um, none of those things are going to break down the pattern that you're seeing. All you're going to be able to do is show your child that there's some tools there. But if your child's not taking action on those tools and the school doesn't understand when and how those tools can be used, um, then, then you're still back at, at square one with the whack-a-mole experience of just throwing things at the wall to see what sticks. So adding metaphors to each other here, but hopefully you understand. Um, where what, what I'm talking about here. Now, 
one thing that's really important to to make sure that we speak about here in, in advocating for your child is in noticing that children don't, like I said before, they don't learn through punishment, um, but that doesn't mean that children don't understand that their behavior is ineffective. Um, your sensitive child wasn't put on this earth to be miserable, and they know that. But what's uh, tricky for them at this point is that they don't know how to stay out of that misery in a skillful way. And so the, those big emotions, um, when you know lectured or um, chastised, uh, start to learn to stuff themselves. Your highly sensitive child can learn to pretend that everything's okay, nod, smile, recite what their uh, quote-unquote good behavior is supposed to look like, um, and then as a result take in the fact that they are a bad kid. And that's the message that they hear from parents and school, uh, you know, school teachers or school professionals who speak a lot about what they're not supposed to be doing and then um, share, you know, with the child that um, they should know better and all of that. Um, this kind of, of communication style from either a parenting perspective or an educational perspective in terms of behavior modification uh, just simply isn't effective. Uh, children learn much more effectively through play and um, lectures and play don't go hand in hand. We need to be able to communicate in a way that doesn't include shaming your child and uh, punishment shows not only your child what not to do, um, you know, um, and, and like I mentioned before, it doesn't teach them what to do, but it also induces shame. And so when we think about the, the traditional perspective of removing your child from the situation, threatening them um, with, you know, the consequences of their actions, um, to, to use any sort of carrot and stick mentality uh, to drive behavior, None of that takes into account the fact that your child's emotions being out of control are what creates your child's reactions. And so when, when you teach your child how to manage their own emotions and how to regulate themselves and use skills in the moment, then your child feels capable of using those skills. Now, when I think about how parents are typically doing this, usually it's in trying to teach your child during the meltdown um, or in trying to remind your child and quiz them about what they're supposed to do. And that's the same lecture um, mentality that is really invalidating for your sensitive kid. They start to, um, and they continue to believe that, that this is just too hard to do. And as a result, they, they don't take action on what you're teaching them. So when we think about being able to advocate, you need to be able to understand the personality trait, but also how that and uh, how, how uh, symptoms of the meltdown cycle can inhibit your child from from experiencing the person their personality trait as a strength. So obviously if you're detail oriented one would assume uh, when you're in your skillful mind that you can notice all kinds of options to solve your problems. Um, that's what creative problem solving is all about, right? And, and detail oriented people can think outside the box uh, when they are calm and when they are curious and uh, children who are calm and curious can come up with wonderful ways to solve their own problems but that what's most important to understand is when they are feeling anxiety frustration fear overwhelm intensity it's extremely difficult for your child to be curious at that point and that makes it extremely hard for them to 
use a skill that they learned when they were feeling curious. And so when we think about being able to teach your child, it's really important for, for you to notice how children learn and then educate the educators um, around how children learn, which can feel really, really hard if you don't have the science to back it up or the system in terms of being able to advocate and seeing it work in your own household. Uh, because teaching teachers how kids learn can feel um, tricky, right? Um, and so I can speak from experience, over 70% of the families that we work with, at least one parent in that pair, if we work with two parents, um, uh, you know, in a two-parent household or, or what have you, or a co-parenting relationship, at least one of them is in the uh, child development or helping fields. So that means doctors, nurses, um, uh, veterinarians, and uh, therapists, as well as educators, professors, early childhood educators, um, teachers, you know, high school teachers, etc. And many of the teachers that we work with understand that children need to um, to be uh, supported individually, but their educational systems that they work in don't understand how children actually absorb material and how that material can be taught only when a child is calm and playful and curious. And so when we think about that missing link that is often, you know, the, the link between emotional emotions, behavior, and education, and it, it's not often taught in the curriculums that the uh, higher-ups and the bureaucracies of the school systems choose because that doesn't get you the numbers you need to see on, um, on those standardized tests. And so when we think about, um, because that pace, I should say, um, and, and prioritizing those, um, and so it's, it's really quite difficult for educators to be able to implement this without a clear strategy. So they might understand, right, uh, teachers go into teaching to help children. So um, they might understand that, you know, when you're communicating uh, with children that you need to speak differently than when you're communicating with adults. Um, but behavior modification is not covered in the master's degree of, um, uh, for, a, for a teaching degree. And... Um, uh, professional development plans um, and uh, professional development uh, CEUs, etc., are often not focused on behavior modification, and many teachers are not supported in learning about behavior modification. And with that being said, most behavior modification plans that are um, touted um, by um, non-experts in, in this field uh, focus on rewards and punishments and so like I mentioned before uh, even if a teacher is getting any learning on um, emotional behavior management a lot of the time it's focused on using sticker charts um, scorecards um, rainbow levels whatever it is the flavor of the week and um, None of that actually works to help children manage their emotions because children are internally motivated. So we can't use external motivators like stickers and prizes and clips and any other um, public display of, of, of how you're doing as a motivator to achieve without adding the expectation that children are competitive, um, that children are by nature um, that are, are motivated by something outside of themselves. Children who feel well, do well. And uh, this was really important to understand as a parent because um, when, when you're supporting your child in feeling good about themselves and feeling 
um, you know, capable, uh, then they will be able to display that capable behavior in all avenues of their life. Um, but when you're motivating your child based on something they're supposed to achieve, or a prize that they're supposed to get, or a thing that they're not going to get if they if they quote unquote behave like a suspension or um, uh, you know being kicked out, etc., then this obviously it puts the power out of your outside of your child, um, which sends the direct message to your kid that they aren't capable unless they have an adult helping them um, modulate their behavior, right? Regulate their behavior. But what happens? When we ask our kid to control themselves, we're not the ones holding their hands to themselves. We ask our kids to hold them, keep their own hands to themselves, right? So in this example, when you're using something outside of your child, like a consequence or a punishment um, or a threat to control your kid's behavior, and then you tell your kid to control themselves, um, you're sending completely contradictory messages to your child. And, and so as a result, whether you're doing this or the educational system your child is in is doing this, is, um, you know, it's incredibly important for you as a parent to understand that both of those approaches are really going to be quite um, counterproductive uh, to each other, right? So when we think about understanding how children learn, um, and we need to understand that children do, do, do need consequences for their actions, but that cannot be the motivator for change. Uh, when we teach the concept of cause and effect, we have to understand and remember that the child, um, child's brain development um, is, you know, children, children already, already are learning cause and effect, but not to the point where that cause and effect inhibits their behavior, okay? Um, kids love science experiments, right? Um, children learn at a very um, early age. When I push my body up, I get to see more. When I stand up tall, I get to see more and reach more. When I take steps, I get to walk to my um, loved ones and get hugs. When I reach out and I say, ah, uh, I get what I need, right? That's cause and effect. So your child is learning the concepts of cause and effect because that's what helps them maintain safety in a relationship. But cause and effect does not inhibit their behavior. The understanding of cause and effect is a biological process and a relationship process, um, but it is not something that, that drives your child's behavior because that requires their brain to be more developed than it actually is. That process in the brain is, is uh, designed and developed in the frontal lobe. This is the front of the brain that is not fully developed until your child is 25. So when you ask your six-year-old or your eight-year-old or your 10-year-old or your 14-year-old that if they don't do their work or if they hit other kids or if they explode and toss the furniture that they will be kicked out of school, in the moment of that level of overwhelm, their brain is not calling forth visions of the future. Their brain is calling forth fear, terror, uh, intensity, overwhelm. And that's what's leading to that big explosive behavior. And so if we look at it from this lens, which is the truth, not um, theory, then we can understand that it's very easy to discount any traditional perspective that didn't take science into effect, um, into account, uh, that the cause and effect drives behavior. So um, it's important for us to, 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 to get some pretty clear understanding of this. So, um, and, and, and this has been backed up in the understanding of the human brain uh, for decades at this point. 
Um, when we think about how highly sensitive people think and how highly sensitive people feel and that that emotion is more intense, that emotion of terror, terror fear, etc., is more intense than the average uh, person, um, you know, the average non-highly sensitive person, I should say, which, you know, being 20% of the population highly sensitive means that, um, that you're not the average person, you are, you are um, more of a minority. Um, then it's important for you as a parent, especially if you're not highly sensitive yourself, uh, to get, have clarity on how big those emotions are for your, for your sensitive kiddo, okay? So the, the understanding that your child already knows that hitting is bad will help you as you advocate with the school and um, when we're, we're sp or advocate with your child to advocate with the school. And this is, this is important. We think about the, the strategy that is necessary to break out of this pattern. There's four components um, that, that are something that you can take action on in your own, but there's five parts to the strategy of breaking out of the, of the meltdown cycle. When we think about being able to break out of this. You yourself need to take a clear picture of how you see your child as capable or incapable and what that does for you to inhibit or um, inflame their behaviors depending on uh, your approach as a parent. And that strategy that you're using to put your kid in, in, a, um, in a perspective that, um, it, in your own perspective of what they're capable of, uh, keeps your child stuck. And especially if you're frustrated frequently, which obviously, um, you know, one wouldn't blame you for, right? There's no judgment in noticing that if your kiddo is, is struggling at this level, um, that you would be frustrated. And... With that being said, um, it, it, it can be very easy to feel helpless at that, ex at, at that extent on what your kid will do to shift their behavior, what your kid's capable of in shifting their behavior. So uh, it's important that you take a, pick, take a pretty clear look at that and then uh, start to shift the way that you respond to your child. And that has to be done in a playful way, okay, right? And, and has to be done in a way that supports your kid in um, in, in eliminating a shame response, which like I said, can't be uh, driven from threats of, of punishment. And all of this requires you to, to be able to um, really get out of the feedback loop that you have, you've been giving your child, which is um, a, a lecture or a continued conversation or, or a continued review that their behavior is unacceptable, that their behavior is not helping them, etc. Your kid already knows that. What they need to know and learn is, is how to break out of that pattern. And, and quite frankly, uh, if you've been struggling that for the, with this for, for quite some time, so much so that your child is on the verge of being kicked out, it's time to engage professional support. Um, and then that's step number five. You need to be able to, to have a conversation with an expert who's helped hundreds of people break out of this pattern, not just you know the occasional sensitive kid and yeah, they've heard of the personality trait. Um, you know, being highly sensitive while you know one out of every five is highly sensitive um, is completely different than being highly sensitive and stuck in the meltdown cycle. This is, these are two different, very significant um, things. Um, a subset of a subset, if you will. And uh, you need to be able to trust an expert who has helped multiple children in all kinds of situations break out of that pattern and, and, and multiple isn't five. Uh, when we see families who have um, break, broken out of this pattern in all kinds of school settings all around the world, um, then you can, you can start to, to understand that there, there really are some pretty core principles 
that need to be addressed in a targeted fashion. Um, there are patterns that you're going to be able to observe when you start to look at data sizes that large. You start to support that many people. You're, it, it's really uh, quite easy to make it simplified at that point. Um, because when, when a professional's only seen you know, five families with this circumstance, um, then they, they, they look at it as every family is unique and different, and uh, it's very difficult for a professional with that uh, level of inexperience um, to consider uh, situations and patterns because five is not an appropriate scientific data set. Um, but once you get to the point where you've served hundreds of families like our team has, uh, we've got this down to a science. We can understand uh, for you how to tweak to your unique child, right? This isn't, um, we're not talking about um, rubber stamping it. We're talking about working with human behavior here and the fact that your child is a unique kid and um, the, be the, the behavior pattern isn't unique to our team. And, and that's important. So we encourage you to book a call. Have a conversation with experts um, who know how to break out of this pattern and determine whether or not the strategy that I've outlaid for you today is even relevant for your particularly unique family. Because, um, you know, I can, I can speak till I'm blue in the face about what works for our clients. But if your family has some anomaly situations going on or um, some other reasons why your child could be struggling that you um, didn't perhaps uh, notice or pick up on, um, or some, some other factors uh, for, on your end as a, as a parent uh, that need to be taken care of before we would be a, a good fit, uh, that would be something that we would have to, to take a look at one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. And that's something that we do and we're happy to do it. You know, we've helped hundreds of families. We've taken thousands of phone calls. Um, and that's okay. <laughs> that's not something that we are going to stop doing. Uh, there's no other efficient way to solve this problem than to have a conversation with every single family that we invite to work with us. And um, so that we know that if we're inviting you, we're, we're sure that we can help you. Um, and, and that means that many of the families that we speak with aren't invited or aren't a fit for what we do. And that's fine. What we want to be able to do is share with you uh, what's going to work for your particular family. And that's uh, an honor for us to be able to do that and share with you and, um, and point you in the right direction if what we do isn't the, the, the appropriate fit. Uh, now, if it is, we'll, we'll walk with you, walk you through where you're stuck, what you're struggling with. Um, you know, how significant the issue is for, for your particular family and whether or not your goals are um, in alignment with what we do, right? If your goal is to tell your kid to just keep their ish together and um, get them to just fall in line and, and res respond like in, you know, with, with, um, with respect to the teachers in a way that demonstrates to them that they don't have a voice, um, that's not going to be something that we would agree would, would be necessary for your sensitive kid, um, for children in general, right? We want children to learn to advocate for their needs in a safe, fair, and effective way. Um, and, and what I mean by that is, is to learn collaboration, not negotiation. Um, and, and that's important to understand. And, uh, and so, um, you know, if, if being able to teach your kiddo those skills is, is relevant to what you want, as well as other dreams for your family. And we uh, have helped families do that before and we know what we can, that we can help your family. We'll tell you exactly how that works. And you can get started right away because why wait, right? Especially if you're at this level of intensity and we've, we've seen uh, many families notice that, um, that 
you know, that it's important to take action early because children are learning. They're learning how, um, how to operate in the world, how to identify with, um, with their own emotions and who they are as, as people. Um, that, that identity that your child is building is, is solidified around age seven. And then it's much harder to break out of those patterns without shifting and even further um, getting, getting um, important understandings with your child on, on how they conceptualize themselves, how they think about themselves um, and as they age. So uh, it's not to say that we haven't helped families in this situation whose kids are eight, nine, 10, 14, et cetera. Um, you know, 16, 17, et cetera. But uh, it's important for you to notice that if your child is six, the simple answer might be, oh, let's just switch the school, we'll be good to go. But um, that's, that's uh, the wrong way to look at it. There's no quick fix when, you, when your child's gotten to the point where their behavior is so extreme um, that adults don't think that they can help them. Um, obviously, there's a, there's a bigger issue here that we want to observe, whether or not what we do is going to help you. And uh, we're happy to, to support you in doing that and to take action immediately on it. Thank you for joining me on this episode of How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. We release a brand new episode every week, so be sure to click subscribe. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in seeing if you're a fit to work with us at MTC, here's what I want you to do next. Head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call and book an appointment with our team. We'll get on the phone for about 60 minutes and we'll get you clarity on where you're stuck in parenting your sensitive child or teen, what your goals are for supporting your child's development. And if we can help you, we'll get you started on knowing exactly what to do to eliminate that meltdown cycle. Eliminating the daily meltdown cycle does not happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make it happen. And we've helped hundreds of clients from all over the world end that cycle in as little as eight weeks. So. To see if we can help you do the same, head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call. I'm Megan Thompson, and we look forward to speaking to you soon.